more than patriotism. And I know we have some in here today you fought for and served for our country, and we're grateful for you. Very grateful for you. I'm an American. I love America. I love America because of its greatness. It's great in territory, resources, strength, and beauty, and achievements. I love America because of its graciousness. America has shared its wealth, its scientific discoveries, its medical accomplishments with all of mankind. I love America because of its gifts to me. It's given me freedom of speech and freedom of uh, religion, and it's given me freedom to bear arms and all the other freedoms that we have. The truth is that socialist countries and communist countries, they also give you freedom of speech. But only America guarantees freedom after your speech. Amen? And so we are allowed to say what we want to say in this great country of America. I love America. A groom was terribly nervous, visibly nervous at his wedding. And his friend, in fact, was his best man, said, what's wrong, man? What's wrong? Did you, have you lost your ring? He says, no, no, I've not lost my ring. I've lost my enthusiasm. Uh, many Christians have lost their enthusiasm about this great country. I have not. Now, just because I love our nation, the same cannot always be said about our government. Sometimes our government gets in the way of the greatness of our nation. Wouldn't you agree with me? I read one uh, of one incident where the doorbell rang in a man's home, and he answers it, and there stands a, a kid, just a half-grown kid, and he's got a, a he's well-dressed, got a suit on, and he says the words, the magic words, trick or treat. The man says, well, what are you dressed as? The kid says, I'm dressed as a U.S. congressman. And then he takes 28% of the man's candy and leaves and doesn't even say thank you. Government officials aren't always, actually government officials are never our saviors. That's why I believe in term limits. Amen? Every, every government official ought to serve two terms. One term in their position of government, the second term in a prison cell. And it's okay if you don't know why he's in prison. He knows. All right? So I, that's my idea of term limits. One of the reasons that government gets away with so much is because of all the bureaucracy and the fancy wording and the things that really are over the heads of the common man. In fact, I have an example here. This is a line, a well-known line out of the Bible, and it was rewritten by a Washington attorney. All right? So I'm going to read his statement. You see if you can tell me what the line out of the Bible is. We respectively request and entreat that due and adequate provisions be made this day and the day hereinafter subscribed for the organizing of such methods and allocations and distributions as may be, be deemed necessary to properly assure the reception by and for said petitioner of such quantities of baked cereal products as shall, in the judgment of the provider, constitute a sufficient supply thereof. Give us this day our daily bread. That's rewritten in Washington speak. I'm pleased to inform you this morning, government is not the answer to your problems. Jesus Christ will not return on Air Force One. Amen? That's not going to be the answer to our issues. God is still in control. Yet despite all of its faults, we still live in the greatest country 
in the whole earth. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, It did not happen by accident either. It is a Christian nation built on the ideals that are found in the Word of God. For almost 250 years, we have celebrated our independence, our right to govern our own lives. What wonderful freedoms are offered to the citizens of the United States of America. I want to read one verse to start with. We'll look at a few more as we go along, but Joshua chapter 24, we're going to read verse number 15. The Bible says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm sure many of you have that sign hanging in your house. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I want to talk to you today about our declaration. Let's pray, Father. I pray you'd help us now in the next few minutes here, that your word would be clear, your message would be challenging. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take a moment before we talk about our personal declaration, just to talk about the patriots' allegiance to their country, our early, we call them the founding fathers, and some of the things that they went through in the forming of this nation. Number one, I want you to see they made a bold declaration. When the conflict with England began, many patriots boldly declared allegiance to our new country. Patrick Henry, he was that fiery young politician from Virginia. He made that famous speech so many of us read in school. And I quote, it is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet to be purchased with the price of chains and slavery? God forbid. Uh, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty and say it along with me or give me death. We know the speech well. We know the stand that they took. Then came the strongest declaration of all, the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. It was signed by the 56 uh, representatives from 13 colonies. They declared that they would accept nothing less than absolute freedom from England. It was a bold declaration. In it, Americans challenged the most powerful empire in the whole world. And they entered a war. They did not have an army, and they did not even have a navy. They had nothing but an untrained militia made up of citizen soldiers from the various colonies. All they had were untrained men. But what they did have, they had a firm conviction that this was a land in which God put them within it, and they were going to fight for what they believed was right. England had an army of well-trained, highly disciplined soldiers and the strongest navy on earth at that time. But our courageous patriots pledged their lives and their allegiance to their country. They paid a, not only did they have a strong declaration, they also paid a high price for that declaration. After the Americans declared their independence, they had to win it by force. This proved to be an incredibly difficult undertaking. Well, one reason, and this was a little surprising to me as I studied, I love reading history and studying about these times, but 
uh, not all of our citizens were behind the effort. In fact, about a third of the colonists, they remained as loyalists to the crown. They were actually supporting the enemy. They were not for this nation. They were for the nation of England. And then another third of the colonists remained unconcerned, apathetic about the, un, uh, the outcome of the war. They didn't care which side won. They weren't going to get involved. This meant that victory in the Revolutionary War depended on patriots made up of less than a third of our country at that time. And casualties were high. 7,200 men gave their lives on the battlefield. 8,200 were wounded. 10,000 died from disease and from exposure. 3,000 of them alone at Valley Forge. 6,000 died in prison after being captured. A grand total of about 23,700 soldiers gave their lives in this conflict. And then we can also look at the men, the 56 that signed the Declaration of Independence. They also suffered much hardship. Their strong conviction resulted in, in uh, detriment for their families. Of the 56 who signed the Declaration of Independence that day, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another two sons were captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds and hardships of war. Uh, one of them, Carter Braxton of Virginia, was a wealthy trader. He saw his ship sunk by the British Navy. He sold his homes and his properties to pay his debts, and he died in poverty. Another man, Thomas Nelson, owned a beautiful estate, and it was taken over by the British General Cornwallis, and they made that, uh, he made that his headquarters. Nelson ordered George Washington to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was yet another. He was driven from his wife's side while she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives as their fields were burned. For over a year, he lived in caves and forests and returned to find his wife had died and his children had vanished. A few weeks later, he himself died from exhaustion. Can I tell you today, friend, it's one thing to make a bold declaration in a congressional meeting. It's another thing entirely to pay that price with blood yours, your families, and your neighbors. Our patriot fathers, they made a bold declaration, and it, they paid a high price. But I want you to see finally that they reaped a great reward. The war that began in April 1775 officially ended with the Treaty of Paris in 1783. The Americans made a bold declaration. They paid a high price, and we reaped a great reward. They won their independence and their freedom, not just for themselves, but for all Americans, including you and I. And a nation like never before was born, where every person was free, and every person could determine how they were governed. Though the signers of that great declaration, those 56 men, yes, they did pay a great price, but many also reaped great reward. Two of them became United States presidents. Ten of them became U.S. congressmen. Nineteen became judges. Sixteen became governors. Dozens of others held high political offices. And best of all, they were part of birthing the United States of America, what we still celebrate today. All of them have the eternal gratitude of the American people. Now today, 
I hate to say it, and I think we all agree we see a nation in decline. There was a time in our public schools where this was used as a textbook. The Word of God, the Bible, was used as a textbook. Noah Webster in, uh, said this, in my view, <coughs> the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. Benjamin Rush, he was another signer of the Declaration. He said, if we were to remove the Bible from public schools, we would be wasting so much time punishing crimes and taking so little pains to prevent them. Well, that's a noble statement, isn't it? Now in Chicago, public school kindergarten teachers are required to teach 30 minutes of sex ed every month. Kindergarten teachers. There was a time in America that society was known for its morality. There was a respect for the family and for the laws of God in the Bible. You may have heard the name Alexis de Tocqueville. He was a famous 19th century French statesman and philosopher. He traveled to America in the 1830s because he wanted to find out what it was about the incredible success of this new nation. He published uh, several books, The Democracy in America. And one of the things, his statements that he made was this, and I quote, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In the fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, I sought for her greatness, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good... America will cease to be great, end quote. 35% of all internet traffic now goes to adult websites. In the United States today, more than half of couples move in together before they get married. America has the highest divorce rate in the world by a good margin. More than 56 million, 56 million babies have been killed in the United States since Roe v. Wade in 1973. The number of babies killed every year in the womb equals the number of United States military deaths in all U.S. wars combined. America has the highest rate of illegal drug use on the planet. America has the highest imprisonment rate in the entire world, again, by a wide margin. I submit to you today that much of America has ceased to be good. And I agree with Dr. Alexa's statement, when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. America has been great because it is a Christian nation. James Madison, the fourth United States president, said this, Cursed be all the learning that is contrary to the cause of Christ. Patrick Henry, ratifier of the United States Constitution, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been offered asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. George Washington, you'll remember him as our first president. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. 
And Benjamin Franklin, in his 1749 of education for the public schools in Pennsylvania, he insisted that schools teach, and I quote, the excellency of the Christian religion above all others, ancient or modern. Today, over a third of all U.S. adults never attend church, ever. For the first time ever, Christianity does not make up the majority of our nation, of our population, I should say. In 2007, 53% of the United States population was Christian, and now it is 48%. Then for the first time in U.S. history, June 28, 2006, a man that was running for president and later became president in 2008 declared that this no longer was a Christian nation. I, for the record, strongly disagree with him. What I'm saying is that we are part of a nation that began strong. They had their struggles. They overcame some obstacles. And they, we celebrated many years of greatness because of, I believe, how we were founded and what we stood for. God was at the helm. And today we are in danger of losing our greatness if we allow uh, Christianity to continue to go uh, further and further in decline. And so you might say today, preacher, I know this is all well and good. I understand we have issues facing America, but what does this have to do with me? What can I do? I want to look at some parallels today that we can make to the Christian life. And uh, the way that the patriots dealt with this country, we also deal in our Christian life. Number one, we too make a bold declaration. Do you remember the day that you openly confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? to your family and friends, and you let everybody know you were a Christian? By the way, if you haven't done that, you ought to. Do you remember the day that you got baptized, publicly declaring your faith, uh, publicly identifying with the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you haven't done that, you ought to. And doing these things, you were making a bold declaration. You were making a, de a declaration of independence from the world from the flesh, from the devil. You pledged your allegiance, your devotion, your loyalty, your very life to Jesus Christ. You did what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. Uh, Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Can I tell you today, friend, it's a bold declaration to say that you'll no longer live for yourself. It's a bold declaration to say that you'll no longer seek your will for your life that you will no longer live for the things of this world, that you will seek God's will for your life, that you're going to do above what pleases you, you're going to do what pleases Him in everything that you do in life, that He will come first, that He comes before anything else. It is a declaration like Joshua made in our text when he says, I don't know about the rest of you folks, but as for me and as for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That was a bold declaration. I hope you've made it. And if not, we need to do so. It's a declaration that can cause conflict within your families. It's a declaration that can affect your career and its possibilities. It's a declaration that can, and yes, it should, friend, take over your entire life. When you pledged your allegiance to the Lord, you made a bold declaration. I hope you've done that. And then, like the patriots, if you've done that, you will also may pay a high price. It's one thing to make a bold declaration in the comfort of a church with all Christians around you, giving you applause. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. 
It's another thing to live out that declaration in the battlefield of your daily life. As with any noble effort, saying it is much easier than living it. By the way, if you read your Bible, and we'll look here in a minute, if you go over to Joshua 24 again, uh, you'll see that in the day that Joshua made this declaration, he wasn't alone. Others heard what he said, and they did the same thing. Look at verse number 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. For the Lord is our, for the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage in which He did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave us out uh, from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord for He is our God. What a great declaration, amen. But it didn't last. In fact, all you have to do is turn over one page to the book of Judges. And you'll find out that they quickly turned away from God. In Judges chapter 2 verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. What is that? Just two chapters later, they're serving Balaam. We're going to serve God. Now they're serving Balaam. Why? Well, just what I said. It's much easier to make a declaration than it is to live it. We're to live it. We're to pay the price. If you're in the Lord's army, just as our forefathers were in the revolution, the war is hard to win. It requires our dedication. It requires our commitment. And it requires us to be in all the way. It will cost us a high price. One of the reasons it costs us is we're challenging a very powerful empire. Who is it that you're declaring your independence from when you make that great declaration in your Christian life? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There are real battles to be fought with real enemies. There are real struggles to overcome. And our enemy, don't miss this, is not other people. You are not my enemy. I am not your enemy. We struggle not with flesh and blood, the Bible says. And that's why it's so heartbreaking when I see conflict within the church. We are not enemies. We have an enemy, but we are not one another's enemies. Our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world. He moves people as pawns on the chessboard of time. As long as you see people as enemies and wrestle against them, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your energy, and you're giving that enemy we really have everything he wants. We're to understand we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Certainly people are involved, but they're not the real problem. This is not an ordinary battle. We're in a greater arena than the one that we can see. The conflict is not physical. The Bible says not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual conflict. Principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's who we have to understand. He wants to destroy you. If you're a child of God, he wants to do everything he can to render you ineffective, to defeat you, to discourage you in your Christian life. If you're an unsaved person, if you haven't ever come to Christ, he'll put everything he can to put in your path to keep you from coming to Christ because he doesn't want you to make that declaration of independence in your life. And so, we fight a very real devil. 
Yes, we're in a real war, and we have a real enemy. He does not like it when somebody challenges him. He'll attack you and tempt you in every way imaginable. He's the supreme mercenary fighter. Some days he comes at you like a, a head-on like a charging lion. Other times he appears as an angel of light. There's a price to pay because we're challenging a very powerful empire. And then another reason there's a bad price to pay is because not everybody is committed to the effort. Oh, we, and that's one of the most discouraging things I read in the, in, in, in the revolutionary times. Some people really aren't on God's side at all. They're enemy loyalists. They'll creep in, they'll hinder God's work, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll bring false teaching, they'll create division and strife among God's people. They're not even on the right side. John 1, James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. On the wrong side. And the third reason is some are like the third of the colonists that were unconcerned about the outcome of the war. They were apathetic. And there are all kinds of people that come through our churches and they're on the Lord's side. Kind of. Maybe. A little. Sort of. On God's side. They'll claim to be, but they're apathetic. They're uninvolved. They're half-hearted. They will never step out of their comfort zone. They'll come to church when it's convenient. They'll not hinder the work of God, but they just won't get involved in it. They'll watch from the sidelines. They'll critique those that do get involved in the work of God. Make no mistake, friend, there is a price to pay to fulfill your declaration. I hope you've made it. My heart's desire for each and every one of you today is that you will make that declaration in the, for the Lord today. Hey, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're putting aside the things of the world. I'm going to do the best I can to resist the temptation that the world has to offer, and I'm going to follow God. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. But with that declaration comes a price. Your commander-in-chief calls on you for unwavering allegiance. Jesus made that clear in Luke 9.23, and he said to them all, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall save it. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you. Who's first in your life? Who is first? Again, Jesus' called to discipleship has a great parable to the nation. Americans were Americans by birth. Patriots joined up to fight in the cause. Now, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian by the new birth. But real disciples will join up and fight for the cause. They'll fight that daily battle. Which one are you today, friend? Are you a patriot? Are you a disciple? Get off the sidelines and get in the battle. Luke 14.33, So likewise, will whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus said, hey, when it comes to me and your life, your stuff, your accomplishments, your abilities, when it comes to all that and me, I've got to reign supreme in your life. Because all the, and by the way, he's not saying that because he's some egomaniac. He's saying that because all those other things will not bring you fulfillment and joy. He will. We must fight that battle. Now, you will pay a high price, but it's worth it. And I close with this, because like our patriot forefathers, we're going to reap a great reward. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which, is, which shall be revealed in us. One day those who fought the battle nobly in life will stand before the Lord and receive their reward. Kind of like wartime decorations. Medals of honor, if you will. Crowns. It'll be a grand day for some. It'll be a grim day for others. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.13, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work for what sort it is. If any man's work abide with what he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved so as by fire. Now, I read that passage, and, and I've said before that, that I'm a very visual person, and so... Uh, when I read the Bible or I see stories like that, I like to visualize it. And when I visualize this day, which Paul, by the way, called a uh, the terror. He, he looked at it as almost a, a, a time of terror to have to stand before God, and that's Paul. Uh, he's a little better than I am. If it was a moment of terror for him, I, I look at it the same way, amen, because uh, of standing before God. But the way that this verse is given, it's almost like everybody will receive, if you will, a trophy doesn't say trophy, reward, but we'll just use for the purposes of visualization a trophy. And so we're all standing in line there with our trophies. Because all of us, you know, we played the part. You know, we went to church when we could and call ourselves a Christian. And we had uh, religious things hanging on the walls of our house. And hey, we were Christians. And so we uh, have this trophy and we're standing in line. But the Bible then adds that when we come to stand before Christ, that our reward or our trophy will be revealed by fire. Now, how many of you have went to a high school with trophy, uh, like they're behind the glass, you know, they have a little trophy wall there. Um, we had, in the school that I taught at, I taught high school for a few years in Michigan, and in the school that I taught at, uh, we had a, a trophy room of trophies. They were all over 10 years old. We hadn't done anything in the past 10 years, but there was a time, there was, I guess, the glory days of the school, there were some trophies. Now, the trophies that we had in that little Christian school, uh, you know, basketball championship or whatever, they looked nice, but they were wood and they were plastic. They were coated with, with gold, you know, paint or whatever. So they looked all right, but they were uh, just cheap imitations uh, looking good. Now, if you go on the other hand, a few, while I was living in Michigan, the... Uh, we had a hockey team and uh, called the Red Wings. And I loved to follow the Red Wings. And one year, the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup. And the Stanley Cup was making its rounds through Detroit there, and people would ha they had different places where you could see the Stanley Cup. Now, that Stanley Cup is not cheap imitation metal. That is uh, the real deal. Now, here's you, and here's I, and here's all of us standing before God. We've got a trophy because we played the part. We carried our Bible. We did, uh, you know, we, we played a good part in church and, and then some of us will have done everything we can and, and there's a sincerity there. We all look good. We've all got our trophies. Then we come to stand before Christ and he turns the flamethrower of truth on that thing. And the Bible says that's going to reveal. Now here's what happens to cheap wood and plastic. It burns up. Nothing left but ashes. Here's what happens to real 
gold, silver, and precious stones. It purifies it. Fire purifies that, makes it better. What will you have to hand back to Jesus Christ from your life? What will you have to offer? Will it be nothing but a handful of ashes sifting through your fingers as your tears fall? Or will it be uh, gold, silver, and precious stones? The Bible says that some will rejoice, but others will suffer loss. Oh, listen, friend, today, it's not enough to make the declaration. I'm glad if you do, and I'm glad you did. We need to make the declaration, but that's not enough. It's not enough to say, hey, for me and my house, we will follow the Lord, because the people said that too, but it didn't last. What matters is what you do with that declaration. Are you going to fight that daily battle that it takes for you to stay true to your commander-in-chief? There'll be a price to pay, but oh, the rewards, how great they are. And uh, what a great thing it'll be. Uh, The sadness and regret that some will have on that day. He was not first place in their lives. They neglected God's house and God's people. They lived a life of selfishness and worldliness. And they will one day be filled with regret. Don't let that be you. So I encourage you today, if you're not saved, make that bold declaration. Uh, Have you made the decision to become a child of God? Have you confessed it with your mouth and to your friends and your loved ones? Have you gotten scripturally baptized, publicly identifying with Christ? If not, you need to make that decision today. And secondly, if you have done those things, don't be naive. Recognize that there's a price to pay. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise believers that they're going to have a life of comfort and ease. I have said this before, but sometimes people get saved and they think they're getting on a cruise ship. (laughs) I mean, life's going to be good now. I'm a Christian. I'm serving God. They don't realize they're getting on a battleship. It's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good sometimes. But there's victory to be had, friend, if you stay in the fight and obey your commander-in-chief. I'm happy to remind you again, the reward is great. It's greater than any military retirement pension. If you persevere, God will reward you richly. Oh, I think every single one of us <coughs> want to hear those words. Matthew 25, 21, when Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Don't you want to hear those words one day? We've got to be faithful. We've got to stay in the battle. So I challenge you today, stay in it. Keep on keeping on. Let us not in our Christian lives deteriorate as we have seen in our nation who began strong who began right and who slowly over time deteriorated in its morals and we see the deprivation that comes with it in your christian life stay strong for god as we pray and as we strive and as we vote and as we do things to keep our nation right and keep it on the right track let's do the same effort to keep ourselves on the right track as well make your declaration